Music has changed. How it makes us feel never will. The time is now to visit mstudios.co.za. Brought to you by Old Mutual. Hi, I'm Mac G, and this is the Amp Studios Creative Industry Podcast, a series of masterclasses that are designed to help you build a business in the music industry. Proudly brought to you by Old Mutual. Amp Studios is a free culture hub facility situated in the heart of downtown Johannesburg in Newtown with uh, world-class recording studios, co-working spaces, video facilities, a stage and streaming facilities all free and designed to help young artists build a career in the music industry. If you'd like to be a part of the Amp Studios or check out all the masterclasses and content we've created for you, just go to www.ampstudios.co.za or send us your name to our WhatsApp line on 081-707-6636. That's 081-707-6636. Join us today for a real and raw conversation between the legendary Kaifa Semenya and superstar Ricky Rick Mercado as they discuss how to build longevity in the music business. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and a privilege to present an iconic conversation between Ricky Rick and Tate Kaifa Semenya. Sabona Babsemenya. Kunjani Ricky. Nyapiru Janwen. No, that's right, man. I mean, my, my heart hasn't stopped beating. You came into the picture like 20 minutes ago, but my heart has been beeping, beating ever since. I mean, it's not every day you get to meet uh, uh, an, an icon, an icon like you, and, and get to sit down and have a conversation. So we're truly blessed, truly blessed to have you, truly blessed to have you. Now I'm glad to be here. From your side. I think isn't this mega actually, as long as uh, we're able to talk and communicate to people, you know, and you know, by God's grace, we at least we're able to jump on a, a Skype call or a Zoom call and be able to talk, you know, um, without having yeah. any restrictions, you know. I think as long as we can keep the vibes, the energy going, things will always be right. I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, this is the best time to feel good because uh, this pandemic is driving everybody crazy, and uh, we're all paranoid now. We don't know what's going to happen the next time you step out of the door. But I think if we keep cool heads and we follow the rules of how to take care that we don't spread this thing or we don't catch it, then I think we'll be okay. So, it's been 80 years. We're going to 81 years. Yeah. I've been in the game for about 10 years, 15 years. And, it, it, you know, I, I, I couldn't have imagined it being this long and me being, being active enough to be doing the things that I'm doing. But for you, 80 years down the line, when you were planting these seeds, did you see that this was going to be a beautiful tree that was going to grow? No, because, you know, when, uh, when I started, I started at school in the classroom with uh, two of my friends. We were really great friends. Uh, and during lunchtime, most of the kids would go out, of course, you know, to have lunch outside and so on, or take a break from the classroom. But me and my friends, Poponi and Mansugu, we would, we would eat quickly, or sometimes we had our lunch in the classroom, and we would start singing all these hit songs that the other groups were singing. Because during the 50s, there were all these groups, you know. Uh, there was the Manhattan Brothers, there was the Cuban Brothers, there was the ink spots, there was the woodpeckers, I mean, I can call their names. And all of them were coming out with these great songs. Abu Kumbula Jane, 
Abu Baile Bonake, and a lot of us youngsters used, used to copy these older guys, you know, Abu Budbe and our sister. So we used to sing these songs, but we did not know with what we were doing then. We were actually planting a seed for us to be performers. Tina, we just sang, we were just enjoying ourselves. You know? And then, of course, that grew from, and then Eskolo uh, and Setu, they had this. Um, this period in, in, in our school where they gave us youngsters, you know, uh, time to do whatever we wanted to do in terms of things that were artistic. And those who wanted to sing, they sang. Those who wanted to act, they acted. And the three of us kept on doing the same things in, in, in all of these activities. We would come up with new songs until one of the teachers that used to come to our classroom to teach, I think he, t he taught science or geography, one of, those, one of those subjects. And then he noticed that uh, we were always, the three of us always singing. And he said, you know, you guys, you should form a group. And, uh, but I must tell you, we were kind of on the naughty side. And then he gave us a name because we were very naughty. <laughs> but we are Captain Jama kids. This was a comic strip of uh, these two, two kids who were so silly, so naughty in the comic strip. So he likened us to the Cats and Jama kids. And we liked the name. So we started uh, singing now seriously, you know, seriously as a, as, a, as a young group, but not thinking that one day at eight years old, I'd still be doing what I started then. Oh man, and it always starts off, it always starts off with trying to, emulate the, the, the music that you hear, emulate other people that are cre creators. I think for me, myself, I used to listen to Tupac. Tupac lyrics were just uh, something that I would try to study as much as possible. I liked all types of music, but studying Tupac's lyrics made me want to rap. And then we sort of, it was also a, a situation where we at school and we're in the choir, but we always wanted to remix the choir songs and the choir master didn't, wasn't, wasn't, hip to, wasn't hip to remixing, you know, uh, traditional choir music like they do now. I think uh, kids today, they, 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 when they're part of choirs, they do modern songs, they do, they do remixes, they do all these uh, different, you know, different versions of the songs that they do. So we always had to sneak, we always had to sneak out as a group while we were saying we were going to the choir room. We stopped going to choir and we started a, a, a beatbox and hip hop group where we used to rap. The one guy used to beatbox and, and, and two of us, me and another boy called Ntlantla used to rap. And that's where we sort of also said, okay, maybe this is a real thing, but it didn't become real until we got the name. So like you saying, once you got the name, it became a real thing. Once someone called me Ricky Rick, that's when it actually became a real thing. Yeah, yeah. That's when, that's when you begin to realize that you've got something there. Angiti, when you're doing it, you're doing it for fun. You're not thinking to be, to be a star, as people like to call it. You know, I just say to be an artist, you know. You're not thinking to be an artist of, uh, of, uh, of, of great magnitude. You're just thinking of just, just enjoying what you're, what you're doing with your friends, you know? And, um, and the rest becomes history. Because from, from, uh, from uh, Binoni, 
uh, that's where I grew up. I was about, I was 15, 14, 15, at my grandmother's, my mother's mother. My mother sent me to Binoni to be with my grandmother because uh, Alexandra Township, where I was born, was becoming a little rough for teenagers. Uh, and I kept some very unsavory characters for, for, for friends, you know. And my mother didn't like that. So she sent me to Binoni. And uh, in Binoni, that's when I, at school, that's when I met Poponi and Mansugu. These were my two friends. And we were the Katsin Jama kids, the originals. So when we became the Katsin Jama kids, we needed another member, a fourth one. And we got another guy who was, uh, he sang with another group, but he didn't like the group he sang with. So he came and joined us. And then from that day on, we became four, and we were now the Cousin Jama kids. And uh, in every concert in Binoni, in Springs, in so on, especially concerts that had to do with youngsters, you know, we would be featured there. We would be featured. And then one, then uh, there was a time in 1958, 1958 there was a competition, which was almost like national, you could say. And we didn't know why that uh, that this um, this competition for all the youngsters to come and do their stuff, you know, what it was for. We learned that later. So we went there, we did our thing with the other youngsters were there, and we came up as number one. So we were chosen, you know, among the youngsters. And then the day we were called now to come and receive our prize, we were given the prize there, but we were told that there was a greater prize that we were going to be given. We didn't know what that was. So we went to Doke House La in Joburg, and the prize was that we were going to be members of the King Kong musical, cast, cast, cast members. And there were other kids, I mean, there were, I think uh, must have been something like 50 something kids our age and others a little older, the different groups like the saints, the, the Shelton kids, and, and all of us were going to be cast members of King Kong. And that was my first time now when I went into, um, in, in, into something that I loved. That was part of my life, I thought then. That, but at that time, it was paying money, so we were being paid per week for the first time. The others, you know, with the cousin German kids, we really never made money, you know. We, five shillings, maybe a show, 10 shillings, you know. If we got a pound, wow, we were really doing it. But even at that time, we were not thinking that, you know, we need to be paid, we want more money. No, for us, it was just fun, you know. But this, uh, at this age now, I was 19 years old when we went to King Kong. And for the first time, we were, we were put under, how can I say this? We were put under the radar now of somebody who was the producer who made sure that we rehearsed on time. Luckily for us, we were used to rehearsing. We were really used to rehearsing. So, when we started rehearsing in the musical now, we were rehearsing as professionals now, not only as kids who are interested in music, who love music, but now it was intentional, and it was intentional 
to, uh, to achieve a certain end. And this now had to do with the musical itself. Uh, that uh, we were, some of us were boxers, you know, young, young boxers in the story. You know, we're young boxers. And King Kong was the big, the great boxer. And we were like uh, in his uh, boxing, boxing school or boxing gym, in his gym. And we began now, the songs that we sang had to do with what we were doing in the gym. And these two things now began to merge. And we began to see that, that uh, actually, it's not only about singing on the stage that you can actually sing and take what you have and make it into something else that could also be dramatic, you see. And that, that was my first lesson and I never forgot that. I mean, uh, I mean being able to use your, your, your talents to tell a story is something very few people get the privilege of doing. And even if they have a talent to do that, it's very hard to find yourself in a space, like you say, you just found yourself in a space where they're putting you into a production. You weren't even expecting that. How much, when you look back, of there was the talent part that you guys were, were constantly working on, but how much of, how I say, luck and fate had to come, had to play? When you, find in, when you find yourself in a position like that. Do you ever look back and say, ooh, that was a really lucky break, or the stars had to align somehow? There was something else that was working. Mm. Well, you know, what I found out when Eric is that uh, within uh, this play, it was not only a play that stood on its own, it was not separate on its own. Because the people that had organized this play, the producers of this play, were running Docke House. Yeah, the Docke House. Now, Docke House was the brainchild of uh, guys that even to this day, when I think of them, you know, uh, I thank them. You know, Dan Paul, Gwigwi Mkwebi, Bobra, Mackay, Davashe, you know, these older guys had been in bands, you know, like in big bands. I mean, even to this day, if we can find some of the bands that they used to play in, they were, they were filmed, you know, there are, there's some footage of these guys playing. But they decided to come up with a union because at that time, you know, uh, the, the Nationalist Party government did not allow Africans, you know, to have any kind of union, you know, a workers' union. They did not uh, allow Africans to have groups to sing. They didn't think it was a great idea, you know. But these guys, with the help of some, some uh, liberal white folks, you know, the guys that we, we knew, a person like uh, Ian Bernhard, they managed to find space at Docker House and they called that the Union of Southern African Artists. And I don't know because I was a kid and they were facing all these apartheid laws. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they pulled it off, you know. And there they actually even were able to get us passes so that we could have a pass that was stamped artist. I don't know how these guys did it. You know, and then when I'm an older guy, 
You know, I'm grown up now, I'm looking for them to ask them all these questions, they've all passed away. But they made it, they made it possible for us. And within the, the, the um, Doke house, they created dramatic schools, they created uh, choirs, they created jazz, they created schools. I mean, it, it just became a hub for South African music. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Amp Studios Music Industry Podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after these. Old Mutual Rewards wants to empower you to reach your financial goals and reward you for taking steps towards your dreams. Joining us on this journey of financial well-being will earn you points in a variety of ways. You can start earning points simply by signing up, updating your profile and referring your friends and family. Continue earning points by doing online tutorials and assessments, calculating your savings goals, generating a credit report, and even by meeting an old mutual financial advisor. Having your financial needs met with certain old mutual products will also earn you points. Depending on the number of financial needs met with old mutual, the higher your rewards tier is and the more points you earn. It's time to take control of your financial future. Visit www.oldmutual.co.za forward slash rewards and join today. Welcome back. Let's get back into this week's Amp Studios Music Industry Podcast. And there we were, all these youngsters. Now we were put together. It was the first time I shook the hand of Dambuzam Zaza, who was one of my greatest heroes. I mean, the guy could sing. And Joe Mukhoti. And then there were the woodpeckers and the ink spots and so about this Dorothy Masuka, Miriam Makeba, you name it, Dolly Ratebe, they were all there at Okay House. You know, and as a youngster you can imagine that you are you are among these great giants and they are listening to you singing with your group. And then <clears throat> so we became part of of some of the musicals that they were doing. It was not only King Kong. King Kong was in 1959, and it ran for a whole year, up to December 1959. And then in 60, it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. We were doing other things. There was Township Tonight. There was uh, the Emperor Jones. There was, uh, these guys were just producing shows. And we learned from there now it comes to this thing that it's not so much luck that was happening. It's because some of us, you know, took it so seriously. And Bobu Joe and Bobu Den, they noticed some of us who were really serious, who really put our hearts into it, that they would give us every, uh, every chance, every show that comes, that you should be in that. Why? Because they saw that you worked harder than the others. The others took it like nice time, you know, and so on. But some of us took it very seriously that this is a serious thing. And what we then they noticed this. And that's how I began to climb into all the, 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 the different uh, ranks of going up and up. They, they had me do lighting. I studied lighting, theater lighting. I studied staging. I became what they call, they call a, a property master. You know, in one of the shows that they had uh, produced, and this was um, an opera. Rigoletto was one of them, and uh, La Traviata, you know? 
And for the first time I was on the stage, I was a property master, making sure that every little item, every little prop that was needed in a scene is there. And I did, this, did these things, you know. I was excited to be in this. Kanti, all these things of being excited and doing things correctly and intentionally were preparing me for a journey in this business. Um, and th that's what I always try to tell my young, you know, the, the, the young bloods that we're surrounded with. I always tell them that, you know, opportunities are gonna open up to you the harder people see you working at even the jobs that you think are not going to uh, help you become a star or help you get any notoriety, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to be someone who's the best singer on a set, but you have to deal with the lights or you have to deal with the props, but you know, I could sing that part really, really well. Most people walk out the door. Very few people can sacrifice their pride and sacrifice their time and say, I'm here to actually, you know, to, 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 to also learn. I'm not just here to showcase what I do, I'm also here to learn. And when you talk about sacrifices, I mean, there's a, this fraternity that you talk about, uh, and, and some of the names you also just mentioned. There's a fraternity of, of, of South African artists and African artists that uh, made the decision to leave the country and go to a foreign land, which is a sacrifice even today with, with as how nice it is and how easy it is for us to travel. We don't even make that sacrifice. Uh, yeah. It's a very difficult step for us to make, you know. We are connected via Instagram. We feel like we know what's happening overseas. You guys made a decision, and you've, you've made a decision to leave South Africa, not being an engineer, not being a scientist, not being a doctor, but being a, a musician. That's a big step and a big sacrifice. What led to, to you actually taking that leap and making that step? Okay, again, it was Doc at Doc House. Oh man, Dockham House. Yeah. We, we actually, need to, we actually yeah. need to do a documentary on Dockham House. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because in my book that I'm planning, I, I plan to write the whole chapter or chapters on Dockham House because it was critical in my upbringing as a musician. So, uh, like I said, there was Dan Paul, there was Gwigu Mukwebi, and all these guys, and they were musicians themselves, by the way, but they were musicians who cared for the next generation, that they actually prepared, you know, the, the, the road for the next generation, like ourselves, you know? And yeah. but, but Dan used to, he used to, he, you know, he's one of the people that you really wish you can go to his grave and wake him up and say, thank you very much, sit here, let me pour you some tea, you know? Because now when you, when you think back, you think that he had his own children, but he had so much love for the children that had nothing to do with his family. But he really made us who we are today because he would, he would check you out. And when he saw what you had, it was not only me. There was George Makhene, George Tau. I mean, some of the friends that... Uh, we made, you know, the next steps and we went on and on. So when uh, they produced another show, they had produced a lot of shows. They had produced Mr. Palias in, um, in Cape Town and they sent me there, Mr. Palias, as stage manager. They taught me everything. 
stage managing, lighting, like I said, sound, I mean, you name it. At that time, we were not actually using sound like today. But, you know, like uh, they made me aware of acoustics and things like that, you know. So when we finished Mr. Palias, this was another musical. This had to do with a fishing, a fishing village. It was in a so-called colored community. But it was not only colored community in the, in the play itself. There was uh, Africans and so-called coloreds and Indians and so on. And it was a beautiful play. So when we finished Mr. Palias, and I came back to Johannesburg, Gibson Kante was looking to do a play, a musical, because, you know, people were becoming very um, educated in terms of in the townships, it's not only to sing, but you can actually produce musicals, you see. And so Gibson wanted to produce a musical. And he called myself, George Tau, uh, Josh Makhene, and uh, Mabel Mafuya, and my wife, Uleta, because he had known us for, for years. And uh, because we were in, in Doke House. He used to come to Doke House, but he was not an artist. Gibson used to write songs, you know, and he wrote songs for Abomire Makeba and other people. He was very good at that. And he told us about the idea he had. He wanted to write a, a, a play called uh, Manana, the Jazz Prophet. But because he didn't know much about theater, we had been doing theater now for quite some time. So he said to us, help me out. You know, can you, can, you, can you help me out? Let's work on the script and also can you do acting and stuff? And we did. That's how we got into Manana, the, the Jazz Prophet. That was a Dockey House production again. And then from... Yeah, Man okay. Yes. <laughs> that then there, there was Bobo Zakes Mukai. I don't know if you know of Zakes Mukai. Arthur Fugat. They did uh, plays like... Uh, they did uh, Busman and Lena. They did uh, The Island. They did all kinds of plays together. That was a Dokke House production. Then there was The Emperor Jones, which was a play that uh, was uh, written by O'Neill. O'Neill. And that was Dokke House. So Dokke House was just producing all these plays, these musicals. And this time they said, okay, look. Now you guys, they told me and some of, some of us who were in, in uh, Manana, the Just Prophet, next year we're going to the U.S. and we're taking a play, Spawn Owner. Now Spawn Owner had been playing in South Africa as well. And they said to me, because we need you to go with um, the guy who was the conductor of the musical side of this play. You know, he was... Um, one of those people who was like um, square in a way. And Doke House was full of street wise <laughs> kids, you know. So they put me in there to help him to control these street wise kids, you know. But, but, <laughs> but also, I also participated in the choir, okay. I also sang in the choir. And this, this, this was a very different play. This one didn't have instrument. This was straight, just vocal music. So I was there. That's how I went to the States with Sponono. And when we got to the States, 
it, uh, it lasted about four months on Broadway. It had uh, some hiccups and, and little, you know, uh, problems with the story because Americans yeah. were expecting something much more dramatic and much more truthful, especially coming from South Africa going to the States. So they had problems, the, the press had uh, few problems with it, so it didn't last. It was timid, it was timid. You know, I wouldn't say watered down, I would say timid. They were coming from this country and they were afraid to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, you know, because then they wouldn't come back, you see. So they had to kind of become very diplomatic and hide certain truths. But the press was unforgiving. The press was really ruthless. They just tore it to pieces, you know. Uh, but uh, I remained. Miriam Makeba was already there. Huma Sikela was already there. Jonas Gongo was already there. And they were sent by Doke House again, you see. And so Miriam and Hugh and Jonas said, so now the play is over. Are you going back? Why don't you take uh, some time, you know, and uh, stick around, check out the U.S. and see what else is there. Now, I had always wanted to be a composer, arranger. And so I saw this opportunity that I was in the States. Why don't I go to school and, and do what I've always wanted to do? And the rest is history. That was part one of this Amped Studios Masterclass. Tune in next week to hear part two on the Amped Studios Music Industry Podcast. Brought to you by Old Mutual. Hope you're learning a lot and loving the series. Please subscribe right now to make sure you don't miss out on more. And if you'd like to see videos or access more content or even use the Amp Studios facilities, or maybe you just want to be part of our Amp Studios journey, go to our website. That's ampedstudios.co.za. A-M-P-D-studios.co.za and sign up there. You can also sign up by sending your name to our WhatsApp line on 081 707 That's 081 707 Music has changed. How it makes us feel never will. The time is now to visit mstudios.co.za. Brought to you by Old Mutual.